as Joss has already said, is an album of love poems, songs devoted to the love of a young man and a woman, a love for each other, its longing, its desire, its disappointment, and its consummation. It places intimacy and desire and physical affection on public display for the spiritual health of the people of God. And while we might be shocked or excited, maybe a little nervous or even disappointed when we come to this book, that we find it in the Bible shouldn't be of any great surprise. The Bible begins and it ends with a wedding. And in between, we have the story of God and his people filled with love and loss and longing, a story often described with the themes of faithfulness and adultery, love and affection, knowing and belonging. And those pictures come to us deliberately and explicitly alongside the very real and foundational and personal love and marriage of men and women designed by God to promote and to celebrate and to image forth his divine love into the world. And so this book called the Song of Songs, the greatest song in all the world, just as the Holy of Holies is the most holy place and the Lord of Lords is the highest and greatest Lord, So the Song of Songs is the greatest and highest human desire for love and acceptance, affection and belonging. It's the song of the heart-satisfying love of one for another. And it's so much more than we might first think. So Song of Songs, it shouldn't be a surprise. It comes to us right in the middle of God's giant love letter to the world. And it is a gift to his world that has love and intimacy stitched into the very fabric of our being. And this gift has been given as the Lord's wisdom to his people who need all the help they can get in this area. Because right from the very start and to this very day, the area of love and intimacy, of sex and marriage, carries with it the potential for such deep joy and satisfaction and such despair and disappointment. Understood and accepted, God's wisdom in that area of our life in his world will promote human joy and flourishing, and God's wisdom disregarded in this area will promote damage and dissatisfaction. Song of Songs is a gift to God's church because we all long for a love that is stronger than death, chapter 8, verse 6. We desire the flame of the Lord that will never go out, that is the flame of his love. To quote Barry Webb and our five festal garments, this is what he says, the song of songs is there to stop love going out of relationships with God and with each other, with one another. It is a splendid garment, to be worn not with awkwardness and embarrassment, but festively with joy and deep thankfulness to him who gave it to us as Holy Scripture. And so here we go, this week and next week, two weeks in this book, with two sermons entitled Longing for Love, that's this week 
and faithful and fruitful. That is next week. So firstly then this week, longing for love and look back with me at chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. This book, these love poems, are full of affection and anticipation. We're hearing in these words a young couple, an idealised couple, a picture of human love relationship between a country girl and a shepherd boy. So when she says, let the king bring me into his chambers, we don't have the intrusion of some other royal figure into this relationship. What we have is this young country girl romanticising their relationship in her mind and expressing that with the thoughts and feelings that she's experiencing for her beloved that makes them feel like royalty. With love like this, there couldn't possibly be a higher station in life to aspire to. And so, spoiler alert, when we get to the wedding scene in chapter 3, what do we find? It's a royal wedding between this shepherd boy and this country girl. It's full of intense and elevated conversations that progress from longing and desire to satisfaction and completion with the very real frustration and disappointment thrown in along the way. The words that we're eavesdropping in on these conversations are very sensual, they're very physical. Their bodies and their personalities, their shapes and their smells are cause for deep reflection and maybe even deeper desire. And like Josh said, some of the imagery and poetry we struggle to get our heads around. We're probably not familiar with the attractiveness of goats or the affectionate connection between breasts and towers. But we can clearly get on board, I think, with the imagery of vineyards and fruit trees and the graceful and fertile animals being imagery for physical intimacy between a man and a woman. But what we also see and maybe we can relate to, as that, is that the love and the affection that this young couple have one for another, it becomes the chief lens through which they're experiencing their whole environment, their work life, their home life. What they're seeing in the world around them is all preoccupied with their thoughts for one another, with their desire and their longing for love. Their love life colours every part of the rest of their lives. It can be distracting and maddening and wonderful for the couple and, as you might have experienced before as an onlooker, totally annoying and nauseating for the people around them. That's the intoxication of love. And this kind of love poetry, this singing has been part of men and women developing and promoting and engaging relationship with one another from the very start. Song of Songs is very full, explicitly, of imagery of the garden and fruitfulness imagery. It's not just metaphorical, but it's alluding back 
to God's good design for humanity and his creative purposes seen in the garden of Genesis 1 and 2. When God first brings the woman to the man, what is his instant response and the first words that come from his mouth? A song of desire, of affection, of attraction and commitment. And so what we want to say with Song of Songs and with the rest of the Bible, that these are very good and very right things. The longing for love is a, is a good and right desire that we're meant to have. Physical attraction and the heightening of your senses around your beloved is something to enjoy and something to embrace and be thankful for. See, when God created us in his image, male and female, he created us with a good, purposeful and enjoyable sexuality. And we ought to thank him for that. But like with almost all of God's good gifts, the impact of sin in the world and in our hearts means that something good and purposeful and rich and enjoyable is all too often cheapened and distorted by our own abuse of it. In our culture, the cheap and the tawdry commodification and glorification of sex uses and damages people and dishonours God. And because of that reality and that cheapening and that distortion and that damage, sometimes Christians have reacted by kind of viewing sex and sexuality as bad and shameful. Something that, is, that we are to be embarrassed about and has no good or purposeful expression, expression for us to direct it towards. And that just simply brings confusion and dissatisfaction and dysfunction, which is very sad and is so often unnecessary. When what we have in the Bible is God's wisdom for love and for sex and for marriage, it's a wisdom that definitely isn't yuck, bad, don't. It is a wisdom that says, yes, good, and here is what it's for. And so the Bible's story of love and sex and marriage, we want to say, is good and is purposeful and is enjoyable and is full of joy and is full of beauty and it is far better and far more satisfying than the cheap and tawdry pictures we get in our culture. It's something that's beautiful, that's full of wonder and joy, and is totally worth committing yourself to, the wisdom of God in love and sex and marriage. And so three things I want to say about this longing for love that we find in the Song of Songs. Firstly, we want to say that it's a longing and affection that is one for another. Secondly, it's in the context of a relationship. And thirdly, it flourishes within God-given boundaries 
And in all of it, it points us beyond itself to our relationship with our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. So firstly then, a longing for one another. A longing for one another. While being physical and affectionate beings, desirous for love, means that there's right and good place for physical affection in relationships that isn't sexual and that aren't intimate. And while our sexuality means that we'll experience attraction in different quantities at different times in the direction of different people, there is an important and an exclusive affection on view in this book. In the intimacy of the relationship between a man and a woman, a beloved and a lover. This refrain is repeated throughout the book. Chapter 2, verse 16, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. It's repeated in chapter 6 and in chapter 7, verse 10, we read, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. What we have on display in the Song of Songs is not generic physical attraction. It's not anonymous and it's not directed towards multiple people at once or even one at a time. What we have on view in this intimate relationship is singular and is exclusively directed toward a particular person with commitment and with lifelong attachment involved. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Uh, when Sarah and my relationship was developing and in its early days, I once very awkwardly and nervously exclaimed, you're the most beautiful woman in the room. To which she gently responded, Ben, I'm the only woman in the room. And that little episode has been the playful cause of much affection for the last 22 years. But just to get a little bit more cheesy than my kids would like me to, I think that's an important little factor for my marriage to Sarah. That she is always to be the only woman in the room. The exclusive recipient and object of my intimate affection. And this aspect, I think, of intimacy, the love and affection that's on display in this book, this mutual exclusivity, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, that points us beyond itself, doesn't it? To our exclusive relationship with the Lord Jesus that's meant to be affectionate, that's meant to fill our eyes and our hearts and our mouths, that he is ours and that we are his, is such a deep and a wonderful truth. Which points us to the second thing to note, that this longing for love is a longing in the context of a relationship. That is the consummation of love, relationship. Sex does not fulfill this longing. The relationship of marriage fulfills the longing for love. Do you understand that? 
that our desire and our longing for love isn't met in the activity of sex, but in the relationship of marriage. That is what all of these love poems are looking towards, even as they talk about sex, even as they talk about physical attraction and intimacy. It's all in the context of longing for a relationship. Sex is an important part of that relationship. It's an important reflection of the one flesh union between a man and a woman in marriage. It deepens that relationship, but it is not the relationship. And so all through these love songs, we see that it's not just physical desire that is on view. It is relational desire of which physical intimacy is only a part. This young woman, she wants to belong. She doesn't just want to speak about the bedroom, she speaks about a home. The apple tree isn't just the taste that is sweet, but it is his shade that is satisfying, protection and care. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 3. I, sorry, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the ban banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Do you see there that the beauty and the satisfaction of physical affection is connected to the belonging and the relational satisfaction of him being hers and she being his. She's happy to have his military banner fly over her life that their identities might be connected and shared. Her longing for love is longing for a home. A home that is secure and permanent. They want to share a house with strong beams, secure and fixed. That's where their hearts will be satisfied. And this too points beyond itself, doesn't it? That longing that we have to belong relationally and affectionately and permanently and securely. It reminds us that we're all longing for a permanent, secure and affectionate home with our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, who has promised to prepare for us a place and to bring us to be with him. And so love and affection and our desire to have a home point us far beyond sex far beyond marriage, beyond the tents of this life, to the mansion of heaven and the permanent and affectionate belonging that only Jesus can provide. This particular and exclusive love in the context of a particular and exclusive marriage relationship 
also means that our longing for love that we see on display in the Song of Songs, it's a longing for love that only truly flourishes and satisfies within God-given boundaries. That's our third point. A longing that flourishes within God-given boundaries. So in the middle of that rich and affectionate description of desire and connectedness, this woman is, that this woman's longing for with her beloved, she pauses and throws in a serious warning. Chapter 2, verse 7, which is then repeated in chapter 3, verse 5, and repeated again in chapter 8, verse 4. There is the warning, chapter 2, verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Intimate love is something that is to be expressed in the right relationship, at the right time, in the right way. So don't awaken love until it so desires. Don't awaken it until the right time and in the right way and with the right person in your marriage. The image here is of the gazelle and the doe of the field. They're sleeping. They're sleeping in the field. They are images of of rich fertility sleeping in the field. Sex is on view here, but the scholars also tell us that she's thinking about God in this moment. Because the Hebrew words for the gazelle and the doe of the field very clearly pick up the names and resemble the names of God himself. So speaking to her bridesmaids, in reference to and dependence upon God, she says, don't let this desire become too awake until it's the right time. We are made for love and intimacy. That is a good thing. Those longings and those desires haven't come about by accident or chemical imbalance. But sexual love and intimacy, they belong and work best in the permanent, monogamous, faithful, public relationship between one man and one woman for life. And so much of this book is actually about waiting. It's actually about longing. It's about a lover and a beloved looking for each other and waiting for each other, even as they desire so intensely to be together. And the reality is, as sexual beings with real and good desires and longings, for many of us, most of our life will involve expressing that sexuality in a posture of waiting and longing. And for some of us, that will be all of our lives. And a big part of this intense waiting, again, points us beyond ourselves to the consummation of our desire, which isn't sex, even sex 
in marriage, but the consummation of our desire is in enjoying Jesus in the joy of his eternal kingdom forever. And so our sexualities and our longing for love, well, they need to be directed towards our relationship with him and enjoying him forever. That's what we're made for. And so that's going to mean not idealising or idolising as well as not downplaying the importance and the significance of physical love and affection in the right place, marriage, with the right person, your husband or wife. C.S. Lewis wrote this, he said, sensual love ceases to be a devil when it ceases to be a god. Isn't that well put? So many things, so many good things only remain good when they are humble and ordinate, he says. Intimate love and affection cease to be a devil when they cease to be a god. When we cease to take taking that good thing and making it the ultimate thing. Sex and marriage are really good and really important within God-given boundaries that God's Word provides. But they are not ultimate goods, and they are not ultimately important. If we teach our kids, or have the expectation ourselves, that marriage will meet every longing and desire we have, that total fulfilment will come in marriage, therefore we idolise sex and marriage and idealise sex and marriage. If we do that for our kids or for ourselves, we will simply create or will be for ourselves a spouse who is bitter and discontent. Because we heap marriage with a weight that it was never made to bear. No marriage will meet all of your desires. Except your ultimate marriage to your bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. And so all of this speaks to the ultimate love and affection of Jesus for his bride, the church and their response of love and affection for him. And it is only there as his beloved people can the weight of eternal pleasures be satisfied and met. So where does this song find you today? It might find you feeling broken and ashamed because of past sin and even recent regret. It might find you being single and lonely and longing for love and desire to belong. It might find you happy or unhappy in marriage frustratingly married with unmet desires and maybe dwindling affections. Or it might find you content and satisfied with the spouse of your youth. 
wherever this song finds us this morning, the call for each of us is to respond with thankfulness to our generous Heavenly Father and prayerfulness to our Bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, that our affection towards Him would intensify and grow, that we would delight in our spouses and protect the gift of sex within marriage, and that our desire to belong to Jesus would move and would satisfy our hearts, and that our dependence upon His wisdom for our lives would see us flourish with thankfulness and joy as we long for the eternal pleasures at his right hand forever, knowing that he is ours and we are his forever. We're going to reflect together on that wonderful celebration of the wedding banquet of heaven. Hannah and Lucy come to lead us once again.